There are three verses as I speak to you today and next Sunday on the death of a nation. There are three verses that I want to begin with. The first one is Psalm 11, verse 3. It says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now you think about that. We all feel like, well, there's nothing I can do. But that's a lie. Why do you think the Word of God asked that question? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Then Proverbs 14, verse 34. Think about this. Righteousness exalts a nation. Wow. But sin is a reproach to any people. And then in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, this is my prayer for you, myself, from now till Jesus comes. So I sought for a man or woman among them who would make a wall. Now listen, stand in the gap before me. Stand in the gap before a holy God. Stand in the gap for, before me on behalf of the land that I not destroy it. None. I found no one. I bring this meditation, part one, with a burden. You know, I love America. I love America. It's my homeland. It's the freedom that I have for 79 years in December. I'm thankful that I was not born or lived in a tyrannical nation ruled by a cruel, godly dictator, and if you disagree, silenced you by murder. You know, I'm thankful the Christian foundation, the hedge of this nation. Without in two nations that were formed, for the worship and service of God, one was Israel. And America was specifically burned by people fleeing the state church in England where there was no religious freedom to come to this land so they could worship God according to the dictates of their conscience and the word of God. So it was a nation that had its birth in people for the privilege of worshiping Yahweh and serving Jesus and that had not a reality where they came from. But I hate to say this to you, this is not the nation I was born into in 37. Oh, no. This is that I grew up in the 50s. It began to change radically in the 60s and in the 70s. Uh, the America I was born in has died a slow death. It didn't die overnight. It died. And morally and spiritually, this nation is not the same. If you believe that we're anywhere close to where we were 50 years ago, you've got your head in the sand. And spiritually, our nation has radically changed for the worse. You know, how have we experienced, how, how have we such a radical trans, trans, uh, transformation how have we a radical transformation of the moral and spiritual life of this nation happened? I mean, 
um, we're experiencing things we've never seen before. There are two reasons. The site, I'll just deal with one of them today, and I'll deal with next week of that. Nation has basically been caused rise and influence of humanism in the effect of our life. I remember back in the 70s when I got a hold of Humanist Manifesto 1 and, and it blew my mind. It's an agenda. People have an agenda. And the agenda is to take us from the foundation of the Word of God to a humanist foundation that denies God. I preached against it. We filed a lawsuit in the courts in Mobile, Alabama. It was all about humanism being a religion. I remember the case, and I remember uh, all that was. And the amazing thing was, you see, if human religion, then it has to go under the same rules that every other religion goes under. And the amazing is we won the case. And the judge declared that humanism is a religion. The Humanist Manifesto 1 and 2 were and that was their way that ordered their life. And so we won. But of course, you know how it goes. The next court up uh, turned and said it was not true. And that was the end of it. But it wasn't the end of it. Now here's the strategy. You've got to understand. If you're going to change a nation, you've got to change the generation that's coming up. So what happened is this. Secular Colleges and universities became permeated, permeated not only by teachers, professors that were humanist, but then that was the philosophy underneath all the things that they taught. Now, there are Christian professors in secular universities. I'm not denying that. But I'm telling you right now, I challenge you to go to any secular university in this state or any state, and you look at the foundation of that. It's not creation, it's evolution. It's not deity, it's humanity. And so here comes impressionable young people, many of whom were not raised in a Bible-believing, Christ-exalting church, were not discipled in the things of the Word of God, and they walk into that classroom, and here's a guy that, quote, is a doctor or professor, and he denigrates, he exalts evolution, denies creation. He, he talks about how that it's all about the human, it's all about humanity, and it's all about the good life here and now. And so whether it's biology or, or history or chemistry or whatever, underlying it all, there is no mention of God whatsoever. Zero. So how can you get an, an, an education if you don't deal with the existence of a creator who created us in his image and has a purpose and a plan for our life? How, how can you even deal with the reality of life in history when there's no mention of the God with whom it all began? And so I'm telling you, humanism has run its gamut. And I'm going to show you how. Every decision that has been made by the Supreme Court is a result directly of the humanist thought pattern and the humanist way of life.
But humanism is not only the only reason this nation died a slow death. The other one is the decline and walking away from New Testament Christianity. We've replaced New Testament with Christianity with dead, lifeless religion. And so you get here that is saying it's no God anyway. Religion over here that's lost its power. By the way, the Bible says in the last days they would have a form of God. Deny the power thereof. You get over here, humanism, and then you get on the other decline and uh, fall of what I call New Testament Christianity, which is totally different than the religion in America, which I will show you without question because I deal with that. Then you've got a perfect storm. Humanism here and lifeless religion here and they can't do anything. So instead of opposing humanism, it embraced humanism and brought it into, quote, religious organization. Became religious humanist. Now I want to show you how that every decision that's been made in this country uh, by the Supreme Court and other courts is a result of humanism. I want to call it the deadly influence of humanism. First of all, in one and two, stay with me now, there is an all-out attack on faith. It'll surprise you how open they are and, and how adamant that the worst thing that could happen to any nation, for example, in Manifesto 1, which was in 1933. The first one was in 1933. And uh, it was signed by a number of people who signed it. But guess who was one of the people that signed it? Dewey, who is the, considered the father or founder of modern education. Does that tell you a little bit about no wonder education's gone the way it is? All right, here's... One of the statements, and we're going to put it on the screen. Humanism is an all-out attack on Christianity. It, for example, it says, and he'll put on the screen what it says. It says here, religious humanists, I'm quoting directly now from Humanist Manifesto 1. Religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. They're saying it just happened. It just happened. There was no creator. It's self-existing. And so they're denying the creation of God himself. And so here a person goes off to go to school and says, well, you know, hey, it just happened, you know. There was a big explosion. Woo! And everything fell in place. And here we are. That is foolish. You knew that, don't you? It's just foolish. But they regard it as self-existent and not creative. But I want to tell you what the Bible says about it. Hey, listen, I'll tell you what. I'll take the humanist manifesto, tear it up, spit on it, and throw it in the trash can. And I want to tell you right now, but I'll, I'll take this book anytime over the humanist manifesto. And listen to what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And goes on in verse 2. The earth was out form and void and Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
And God saw that the light, it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and darkness he called night. So evening and morning were the first day. Let me tell you one thing, friend. Anybody that tells you there's not a God that created this universe and created this world with perfect order, just exactly the way it ought to be, they are a liar. And don't you ever give them the time of day. They're liars. Here's the second thing they say. Humanists believe, here's the second thing out of their manifesto. Humanists believe that man is a part of nature and a part of an evolutionary process. Back in, this is 1933. This is Humanist Manifesto 1. They're saying, you know, hey, we're part of nature and we just evolved. We just evolved. And we just got changed, you know, used to be we're a little little amoeba at the bottom of the sea. One day some grew and recruit crawled out on the ground. And one day we walked hump over. Then one day we started walking straight up. And then we started having, I, I forget it, I don't want even want to go there. It's so dumb. Said very, very kind. Why should I be kind to people and I, that you and I are distinctly created holy God? He created you and me. I ain't no animal that came out of the sea. I ain't. It came out of the sea. And you're not an animal. And why do they kill babies? Because you're just killing another animal. You see? Listen to what the Bible says. Let me show you by purpose. It says, <clears throat> Genesis 1, 26 and 20. This is a whole lot better than being just a lower, a little higher form of an animal. And God said, let us make man in our, according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea. You mean we're separate from the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle over all the earth, and over every creeping thing on, on the earth. And then he said, so God created, oh, we're not in a product of an evolutionary process. We are a distinct creation by a holy, righteous, loving, all-powerful God. So man in his own image, male and female, he creates. Tell you one thing, what gives you meaning? What gives you purpose? What gives every life value? It's the fact that you were created by God in his image, and that is above every other understanding of the nature of man. And when God created you, he did not create any junk. He had a purpose and a plan for your life. And so... Right off the bat, 1933, the universe is self-existent with no, with no creator. And then they said, and, and we're part of an evolutionary process. i tell you what, you go to college, you get what they're going to teach you. They're going to teach you about the Bing, Big Bang Theory that we just exploded and here we are. Isn't it amazing when the explosion was over, the sun was just far away from, away, away from the earth, that it wouldn't get too hot. You wonder about that in Mobile sometimes, that it wouldn't get too hot. But close enough so we wouldn't freeze to death. Isn't it amazing that the sun is just right where it's supposed to be? And isn't it amazing that the earth is spinning on an axis just fast enough that we, it'll, we, it'll keep us on it, but it doesn't throw us off? Isn't it amazing that the sun rises, it's in the east, and sets in the west every day? Isn't it amazing, the, the, the growth cycle of fall, winter, summer, and whatever else you call it? See, there's so much order to this universe, and for people to think that it just happened is totally, totally absurd. 
But yet, you go off to college. Boy, you come out of there saying, I'm the smartest human being in this world. This world wasn't created by God. It just happened. You're smart. Would you think about that a moment? And by the way, I'm a product of a, my ancestors were monkeys. <laughs> Boy, that was some ugly monkeys. Woo! I tell you one thing, you did not come from a monkey, and I did not come from a monkey. If we were a monkey, we would have still been one. Do you see how absurd it is? My Lord, people got to be deceived to believe that. I'm telling you, it blows my mind. Well, we go on. So we see where it's coming from. Then we go on to Humanist Manifesto number two, which was 40 years later. And it really expanded on humanism. And it has influenced all of our law, all of the recent decisions of the Supreme Court. It's, re, it's, it's influenced religion. All right, for example, in Humanist Manifesto 2, in 1973, they just come right out and say it. And I want to, it's on the, on the board. This is, uh, this, I'm reading it right directly out of the Humanist Manifesto. As non-theist, that's saying I'm an atheist. As an atheist, we begin with humans not God. And nature, not deity. They just ba basically blatantly say, there is no God. We're atheists. Well, Paul has something to say about that. Did you know that? About people who believe that there is a God. Let's look for a moment at Romans 2. Because all, now this is, listen to this. Because although they knew God by creation, the heavens declare the God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Although they, they did not glorify him as, nor were thankful in their hearts, beautiful, futile in their thoughts, and, and their hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they be, I, I, if you could put all, all the scriptures on that. I want to read that 21st verse again. You can't put it. I want us to look, go back to 21 if it's, it won't mess you up. Because although they knew God, the universe, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. But here it is. They became futile in their heart, thoughts. Listen to this. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And, and it goes on and says the next verse, good gracious. These people who said there's no God, humanist manifesto to Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Well, how do you like your teacher? Well, I just got a problem. He's a fool. He's a fool, yeah. He didn't believe there's a God. Well, aren't you kind of arrogant in saying he's a fool? No, I didn't say it. God did. Huh. That's right. God did. You said, you're not being kind, Brother Fred. I don't intend to be kind. No, no, no. It's life or death. It put this nation to death. And we're living in the consequences of it. Let, let me just give you a verse. And if you get angry, get angry at God. Would you please do this? Because I'm quoting. Look at Psalm 14, 1. It says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none 
who does good. I am telling you, it is simply the word of God that a man or woman that denies the existence of God is a fool. Boy, you can upset some people. Praise God. Now, this really upsets me, this next thing in that few minutes manifesto. And it ought to upset you. You know what it said? They, this is another thing directly out of their thing. It's, it says, they said there is no salvation or eternal life. They make it clear. Now, listen what they said. Now, boy, this is really a slap in our face. Promises of immortal salvation or fear of eternal damnation are both illusory and harmful. So I say, you know, a person can be saved, know Jesus and go to heaven. A person can, a person can reject Jesus and die and go to hell. That's exactly what the Bible says. But they say, but you don't understand. If you believe in, in, if you believe in um, eternal salvation or eternal damnation, you're, 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 you're illusion, uh, illusion, an illusory and you're harmful. And then they go on and say, and, and the same manifesto statement, I'm quoting from it, there is no evidence that life survives the death of I've just read it right out of their page. No credible evidence that life uh, survives the death of the body. So when you die, it's go back to the dust. It's, it's over. It's over. So listen, if you believe in salvation, if you believe in heaven, believe in damnation, you believe in hell, uh, you, you, you're just harmful and you're, 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 you're deceiving them. And by the way, let me just tell you something. Any hope you've got, ever had or have about you, you, you're an absolute foolish person because there's notable evidence of that life survives the death of body. And boy, this is the one that blew my mind up on the screen. No deity will save us. <laughs> we must save ourselves. That's in the manifesto. We're not doing a good saving ourselves. Did you get that? This was written after when he had done all what he had done. And they still were saying, boy, the problem is humanist. And man, Hitler and all, multitudes had died. Multitudes had died. Seven million Jews. And, and they're simply saying, no deity can save us. We're going to solve Boy, that is a joke. A real joke. No, it ain't. Let me just give you three verses, okay? I love these. He said, uh, I don't think it's harmful and illusory, and I do believe that people live forever. John 10, 10, Jesus said, what did he say? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil is a liar, a murderer, and he destroys. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But look what Jesus said. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So don't tell me that salvation is illusory and harmful. Salvation brings meaning, abundant life in the person of Jesus Christ. That's a lie. Jesus brings us life, eternal life. And then over about eternal life in John 10, 28, look what he says. They say that there's no credible evidence for life after death. Am I going to believe him in his manifesto written by a bunch of fools? Or am I going to believe what the, the word of God says? I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And no one can take them out of my hand. What part of that don't we understand? 
Jesus said, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Look at 1 John 5, 11. There's no credible evidence of life after death. You know, it's, salvation is illusory and harmful. Well, here it is. And this is the, re- the record. God has given us eternal life. Now, I'm, 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 I'm going to believe this book. I'm not going to believe any of that other junk. And this is the record. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. What part of that don't we understand? And then here's another one. <laughs> All right, it says, they said there's no heaven or hell. Psalm 9, 17 says, the wicked shall die and go to the grave. That's not what it says. Can you read it? The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. You see, all I'm doing is saying, you want to know the philosophy that, inf- that is now even influencing public schools? They've taken out references to our foundational history. The teachers are not allowed to mention God or the Bible or anything like that. It's all their Christian teachers that love God. And I thank God for the Christian teachers in public schools. I pray for them. I pray that they'll be light and salt, but their hands are tied. Their hands are tied. Uh, one of our young men went to speak down in uh, Bible of the school. I forgot, Alma Bryant. They said, now you, you, you can't, can't pray. Is it Russia or China? We wonder we could pray all over the place. Can you believe that? I mean, you, you can't pray. And what we've got to understand is we turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Okay, so to blatant, all-out attack, discredit the Bible and New Testament. And it's taught in public of God. And I don't know how to what degree because I graduated from public school. That's been a year ago. And then, and then you go to college. I was asking Josh, who our youth pastor, I said, Josh, when did you graduate from college? He said, last year. I said, how was it like? He said, what, was it humanistic? He said, that's all it was. Everything's about the art. Everything's about philosophy. Everything's about the great things that man has done and going to do. And he mentioned of God. He graduated, y'all. Just purely 100% humanism. Here comes somebody who has no ground, goes to a university. They're just talking. And they say, well, they come, go home and they tell their mama, I don't believe like y'all believe anymore. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm educated. I don't believe that anymore. I'm more tolerant than you are. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. They had an agenda. And the agenda was change the attitudes, the beliefs, the moral values of this nation. And they have done an unbelievable job of doing it. Because the church was not being the New Testament church. Let, let me show you this, and this will really, uh, uh, and I'm going to draw it to get, draw it to a close with some stuff that's important. Okay. I want to show you from the Humanist Manifesto has been an all-out attack, now stay with me, on Christian morality and moral absolutes. 
You say, well, why in the world do 65% of the people in America believe there are no moral absolutes? I'm going to show you why. Why does the situation determine if something's right or wrong? Well, look, look at what they said. Humanism has an all-out attack on Christian morality and, and absolutes. We affirm that morals, we affirm that morals, we affirm that moral values derive their source, what's moral, what's right, what's wrong. We affirm that moral values derive their source from human experience. Ethics is autonomous. They change. They change. What's right changes. What's wrong changes. Ethics, ethics is autonomous and situational, needing no theological sanction. They said, listen, there are no moral absolutes. We learn our morality from human experience. And said, and by, and by the way, when it comes to morality, it says it, it's autonomous. It just comes from itself and it's constantly changing. And it's situational. So, what are they saying? That the situation determines if it's right. And the situation determines if it's wrong. That there's no theological sanction, no theological support. It's autonomous. It just arrives. All of our moral values just come from human experience. Well, I've got a, it's a verse of Scripture that says that's not true. Boy, situational ethics. Wow. The situation determines if it's all right to lie. The situation determines if it's all right to steal. The situation determines if it's all right to kill a baby in a mother's womb. See, ethics is, finds, finds no theological support, no theological foundation. It's autonomous and it's situational. It's right there in the, in the, uh, the, the Manifesto too. Can you imagine a college student going in there and struggling with it when he was raised to know that, that it's wrong to lie and it's wrong to steal and it's wrong to have sex outside of marriage and, 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 and it's wrong. Uh, and just uh, he's heard all this and he gets in there and says, no, that, that's outdated. That doesn't mean anything today. That, that, that's not right. That, that, those uh, commandments, no. No, they're, they're absolute. There's no such thing as an absolute. It's autonomous. The situation determines if it's right and wrong. Human experience tells you, not the Bible. Well, listen to Genesis, Exodus 20, 12 through 17. Do you know this hadn't changed? Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder unless the situation's right. You shall not murder. Well, by the way, you shall not commit adultery unless the situation is so that you should. And you shall not steal. You know, and maybe sometimes you just need to steal. Depends on the situation. You shall not lie. Who? Against, bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's servant. His female service, ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. You see, 
Those are moral absolutes. They're wrong. They have always been wrong, and they'll always be wrong. But not, not, not with situational ethics. Not with autonomous ethics that draws its experience, draws its value from human experience. You see, the decay comes if you deny that there are things that are always right and things that are always wrong. Nothing changes it. It's always wrong. It's always right. Now, if you do that, then you have to judge your behavior on the basis of is it right or is it wrong? But see, where there's no moral absolute, then you determine what's right or what's wrong apart from God. And man, it has created a flood. I don't have to tell you. And um, let me go on and say, and I'm on, I got something I want to share with you. Out of this, um, uh, more, that moral values derive themselves from human experience. They're autonomous and situational. They need no theological, no basis from God. Well, that's what, what led to abortion. Two things led to abortion. Evolution. It's one thing to kill somebody created in the image of God. It's another thing to kill a, a, a young animal in a womb. And look at Psalm 139, 13. If you ever wondered where life begins... You ever wondered it? Well, you know, it doesn't happen until the third trimester or something like that. I don't know all about that. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. How in the world can you say that that baby is not a living being created by God in his image, covered in his mother's womb? And that God has a plan and a purpose for that child. But they just say, well, I don't want to be bothered by a baby. Now, if, if, you know, if it's in, uh, the life of the mother, she's going to die if they don't do something. That, that's, that, that, that rarely ever, 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 ever happens. i tell you what happened. Somebody told me that this week. The, the, the wife was pregnant. And she kept trying to abort the baby naturally, just about having a miscarriage. The physician said, you'll never carry it. You'll never carry it. You might as well go ahead and abort it. Her and her husband, being Christian, said, well, that may be. But if it does, it'll be God and not any human intervention. So for nine, almost nine months, she just had to be in the bed or sit on the bed. Guess what? Had a beautiful, beautiful child. Two or three years old now, just running around everywhere, having a wonderful time. See, what they decided was, we may lose it, but it'll be God. We're going to trust God. Let me tell you something. You know when America died? It died a big part when they killed the first baby. And the 59 million later, telling you you think when Israel offered their children as sacrifices to Baal who think about it but you know there's one other thing and this I'm going to be uh, talk to you about 
how God feels about it and what God's going to do. All right, I want to tell you, show you what they believe about sexuality. What, do, what does humanism teach about sexuality? All right, I thought I had a, something from the manifesto to put up there, but evidently I didn't give it to you. Well, basically, this is what they say. That we should not unduly suppress sexual conduct between two consenting adults. It says you do not suppress by sanctions or anything. You do not suppress, unduly suppress sexual conduct by two consenting adults. And it goes on and says, it's a whole chapter on it, a whole paragraph on it. That um, that any sexual conduct between two adults, consenting adults, is not wrong. Doesn't matter what it is, whether it's heterosexual, homosexual, none of that. Very strong, very strong, very strong. And they basically, when this came out in 73, the sexual revolution had already started to some degree in the 60s. But basically they said, listen. This thing of intimacy, this thing of uh, one man for one woman, this thing of waiting till you're married to have sexual activity, they said, that, that's, that, that's, that's, no, no, there's no basis for that. Uh, sexuality between two consenting adults, no limits, no problem, as long as you don't hurt each other or something or kill each other. And I, I'm telling you, boy, they, they just... On this situational ethics and then their view of sexuality, uh, they just open the gate. They just open the gate. Uh, that, and they call right wrong and wrong right. Well, let, let me give you two things about that. All right. Uh, in, in Genesis 2.18, the Bible makes absolutely clear about uh, marriage and sexuality. It says uh, in Genesis and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. And it goes on and talks about how God created Eve and how they were joined together and became one. And so it makes very clear that marriage is between a man and a woman. And it's the God's plan. And it's, to, it's intimacy and sacred in the sight of God. And so the Bible is just clear. That uh, it was created, marriage was created by God. Now, this is where it gets hard. Okay, First Corinthians six nine through eleven. Now, th- th- this is th- this is very very hard. It is very very plain. But let me remind you that the Holy Spirit breathed this into the Apostle Paul, just as he breathed Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And this is the Holy Spirit breathing into Paul, and he, he records what he said. Now, listen to what it says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he said these words, do not be deceived. You know why he said don't be deceived? Because you can be deceived. And there are millions of Americans upon millions upon millions that are deceived. It says, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, 
that's any type of sexual sin outside of marriage. That includes pornography, which is the biggest industry in the world. Pornography brings in more money than the National Football League, all the major league teams, all the college football teams. It, is the, it brings in billions and billions and billions of dollars, far bigger than any other industry. And says, and so do not be deceived, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, or revilers, nor extortioners, will die and go to the grave. That's not what it says. Nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. I want, to, I want to read that again. Because they say when we preach against these sins that we're, uh, we're hateful, we're mean, that we don't love people, that is a lie. That is a lie. Has nothing to do. We love people. My goodness. Listen, if a guy's fixing to run over the cliff and he doesn't know the barrier's down, if I love him, I warn him so he won't run over the cliff. If I don't love him, I let him run over the cliff. All right, here it is. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do, do not be deceived. Okay, now this is not hate language. This is truth. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, they will not go to heaven. They will not go to heaven. And look at the next verse, which ought to encourage all of us. And such were some of you. There was a time when you may have been a fornicator or an adulterer or a thief or a liar or a drunkard. But, and such were some of you. Some of you used to live that lifestyle. We know what he's talking about. He said, but you were washed, what? With the blood of Jesus. You were sanctified, what? By the presence of Jesus. You were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of our God. Let me tell you one thing. Jesus Christ died for sinners. And it doesn't matter how bad the sin is. Jesus loves you and he died for you. And he shed his blood so you could be forgiven. And so you could be set free. And you don't have to live bound by wickedness you can be set free by the son of god and the blood of jesus has not lost its power instead of saying ugly things about people who embrace that lifestyle that's not it y'all it's not it we're to love them and we're to pray for them and we're to tell them that God loves them and that Jesus died for them and that he can change their hearts. He can, now, he can change their hearts, but they've got to be willing to receive the love of God and be willing to receive the grace of God so they can be forgiven. The message of the gospel is not one of condemnation. The message of the gospel is one of forgiveness and restoration and hope and deliverance. We were all lost and we were all sinners. And but for the grace of God, we would still be lost and we would still be sinners. Let him that without sin throw the first stone. All right. Man, I can't believe I'm. I got to say this. And then I'm, I'm just going to go to. All right. The death of a nation. You know what we're experiencing? And I picked this up from someone else. The wrath of abandonment. And I, I want to go back over 
the Genesis chapter 1, and I want you to listen about the wrath of abandonment. When God says, if that's what you want, I'll let you go. If that's what you want, I'll let you go. And in Romans chapter 1, I didn't have this on the screen, but the Lord just impressed me. Verse 18, I want you to listen to this. Now, folks, I'm only reading the Word of God. It says, the wrath of God, that's the wrath of God. You say, Brother Fred, God is love. Yes, He is. But He's also a God of wrath. If you don't believe it, ask Israel time after time after time after time after time. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. They suppress the truth by unrighteousness. They suppress it by unrighteousness. All right. So then it goes on and says three things about what I call the wrath of abandonment. Romans 1.24. Look at what it says now. And it's about the wrath of abandonment. Therefore, boy, now this is heavy. God gave them up. God gave them up. Wow. That's strong. God says, if that's what you want, I'll let you go. God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. All right, look at verse 26. Three times it says God gave them up. Look at the next one. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Even women exchange their natural use for what is against nature. But it's not just that sin. It's rebellion against God. When a nation chooses, calls right wrong and wrong right and chooses to be wicked and violate the word of God. It says, it said God gave them up. And then there's another one, verse 28. Now this is where humanism comes in. Now I want you to get this. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they didn't even want to hear about God. They didn't want anybody to talk to them about God. And they didn't want anybody to remind them about God. So they passed a law that you couldn't pray in schools. So the next, uh, uh, in 1963, they passed a law that um, not only could you not pray in schools, but the Bible could not be read in schools in 1963. And then they passed a law that uh, in 1963, the Supreme Court did all three of them, no prayer, no Bible reading. And then they passed a law that said, you have to teach evolution. Our school was refusing to teach it. Supreme Court said, that's unconstitutional. You've got to teach it. And so then they just expanded it on and said, now, we don't want you praying before a ball game. Uh, coach was fired in Tennessee for praying with his football team before the game. They fired him. Uh, there was a school just recently was going to play Amazing Grace as a part of their band's halftime performance. They said, you can't play that. Now, come on. Come on. What are they afraid of? It says they did not even want to retain God in their knowledge. Don't say, hey, by the way, you can't have a manger scene and 
in a public square. And by the way, you've got to be politically correct. So we don't say Merry Christmas. We say Seasons Greetings. Excuse me while I throw up. The next store I go into that doesn't have Merry Christmas and it's just got season greeting, I'm going to get out as fast as I went in. They've sold out. They've sold their soul. They've sold their soul. Can you, you see what I'm saying? They did not like to retain God in their knowledge, so God gave them up to a reprobate mind to do not what is convenient. The death of a nation is called the wrath of abandonment. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. If that's what you want. So, Brother Fred, that ain't what I want. I know it. Ain't what I want. But I'm telling you, it's just clear God said, if that's what you want, I'm going to let you go. And the worst thing that could happen is for God to let you go. If God would remove all moral restraint, and that's what he's done. There's no moral restraint in America anymore. He's removed the moral restraint. He said, well, okay, if that's what you want, I'll, just let, I'll give you up, and I'll give you up, and I'll give you up. And it's called the wrath of abandonment. And, and everybody does what's right in their own eyes, and there's no moral restraint. And a nation dies and simply awaits the judgment of God. Just simply awaits the judgment of God. I don't like that. But I'm telling you, I'm going to believe God and I'm not going to believe anybody else. If you think I've been unkind, I apologize. But I feel strongly about this. I, I feel strongly about it. I'm sick of people being quiet. And I'm ready to break some unjust laws myself. Let's just break them. Unjust law, just break it. You, you can't, you can't, you say, so they say, you can't play, you can't play Amazing Grace as a part of the band in, in the halftime. You say, you watch us, we're going to play it, and ain't nothing you can do about it. You're going to put the whole band in jail? Why don't when they say you can't pray, let's just go ahead and pray. You may not agree. And I, but with Judge Roy Moore, but I'm going to tell you one thing. At least he's not a coward. Right. At least he said, they said, you can't have the Ten Commandments. So he said, I'm going to have them. So they kicked him out of office. So now he told the probate judges that don't issue any licenses to same-sex couples because we, we, it's not fully settled in Alabama. They tried to make him think that he, and I know that Judge Grenade, which I, uh, I'm not going to go there. I, I mean, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, but she'd already passed some kind of junky thing. She overrules anything that's moral and righteous. And so what did they do? Six justices suspended him for the rest of his term without pay. Just yesterday. You know what? You know what he's thinking? I'd rather obey God than man. And I'll tell you this. The people in Alabama, a lot of them hate him, but I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people that respect him. Because you remember they kicked him out <laughs> and he decided to run for Supreme Court justice again. 
and he won by a landslide. We're not stupid. And I plan on nominating him for governor. See, that scares some of you to death. You say he's a radical. Thank God somebody's got enough sense to be a radical. The humanists are radicals. Give me a break. I'm telling you, man, they'll run over us and stuff us in the ground. And, 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 and you know, we, we, when are we going to have backbone? When are we going to say it's wrong? It's wrong. Mar- the situational ethics. If it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. When? 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 Will we say enough's enough? You say, I'm just one person, but you've got a voice where you work. You sure have. You've got a voice in the school you go to. I would encourage some of you to audit some classes out of South Alabama and audit some classes at some other secular universities and come back and tell me what they teach. I wish somebody would you do it. Just say, I want to audit the class. I wish you'd do that. The death of a nation. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. But that's not the end of the story. Next week I'm going to talk about if the church returns to New Testament Christianity and we become a people who will stand in the gap and make up a wall before the Lord and cry out to him. He said, I will not destroy it, but I found none. So the hope is that we will be Ezekiel 22, verse 30 people. And I want to encourage you this week to be an executable 2230 person. If you believe what I've said is true, then you get alone with God every day. Say, Lord, I'm just one, but I'm going to stand in the gap and I'm going to build a wall before you on behalf of the land that it will not be destroyed. I know you didn't find anybody else and the next verse said you destroyed them. But I'm, I'm going to be that man or woman who will make up a wall, stand in the gap on behalf of the land that I should not destroy. But no one found one. That's not going to be true of us. This week, carve out some time. Get alone with God and say, God, I'm one man or woman, but I know you hear prayer. I'm standing in the gap before you. I'm making up a wall for this land that you would not destroy it. Your prayer will make a difference. Would you do that? Do you care enough about this country to do that? Will you make whatever sacrifice? It won't be a sacrifice to do it. Maybe you want to come pray with us on Friday night, pray with the people that pray on, Tuesday, on Thursdays and Mondays. And, but you can just pray at home in your closet. And you can just say, God, look, I'm just one. But I love this nation. I love it. I've enjoyed it for all my life at the freedom and the blessings. God, I, 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 but I, I don't want to leave this nation. I don't leave it, want to leave it to the judgment that would come upon my kids and grandkids. And God, I, I, want to, I, want, I, want you to, I want to see your hand. I want to see you to bring life. You're God of resurrection. And so we'll talk about that next week.